Well, good evening, everybody. So good to see you tonight. Thank you for being with us. And uh, would you give our worship team and our tech team a hand? Let them know how much you appreciate them and all that they do in our church and the blessing that they are to our church. Let me go ahead and mention right up front, um, because some of you may notice that my voice is, it just sounds a little bit different. And uh, one of two things is going on. I'm at a stage in my life where my voice is going to change again, much like when I was a teenager. Although I don't think that's it, I think that when the grandbabies came down from Illinois last Tuesday, uh, they brought the sniffles with them. How many of you think that's more likely? Uh, I do as well. So I, I think uh, they brought the sniffles uh, with them. So uh, I apologize in advance, but uh, I know that God is going to help us tonight. It's so good to have our church families. Always good seeing you guys. We are such a, a blessed church, and uh, God is so good to us. The Bible uh, likens a church to a family, a body. You know, but also as a family, it's one of the descriptive terms that, that uh, the Bible uses in regards to the church. So it's good to see you. It's good to welcome uh, those of you that are watching online tonight. We welcome you into this service as well. In fact, whether you're seated here in the sanctuary or you're watching at home or on your iPad somewhere or your computer somewhere, you may want to have a, a piece of paper, a pen, or you can make some notes right there on your tablet because I think some of the verses that we are going to look at tonight as we just sort of journey through God's Word, I think there may be a verse or two that God specifically has that is going to speak to you that you're going to want to hold on to that verse because it's going to be like God nudging you or God communicating to you or God encouraging you uh, tonight through His own Word. So uh, just sort of be prepared for that. I'd like to jump in with this, uh, to this rather, by beginning with a question. So it's not a complex question. It's, it's a, a question maybe of curiosity, but it ties into what I'm going to uh, say next. So let me just ask, geographically speaking, uh, how many of you that you didn't grow up in this area, Central Florida, maybe Florida at all, but how many of you where you grew up was the Midwest? How many of you grew up in the Midwest? Just sort of wave at me like this. All right, you grew up in the Midwest. And I've thought about that before. I love the Midwestern accent. In fact, if I didn't have a Southern draw, which obviously I do, uh, I would love to have. I just think Midwestern people, just their, uh, just their language, just the way they speak uh, is really cool. And if I had to pick one and it's not my Southern draw, then I'd probably go with the Midwestern accent. But how many of you, it wasn't the Midwest. How many of you grew up in the Northwest? Let me ju just sort of wave at me. Some of you grew up in the Northwest. Good, good. Got a f yeah. Back here, Esther. I didn't know you grew up in the, in the Northwest. Uh, how many of you grew up in Southwest? Uh, you grew up in the Southwest. Several of you did that. Uh, how about the Northeast? Any Northeastern? Uh, folks that are here, some of you grew up in the Northeast. Uh, well, this next one, which is about the only one left, it really minimizes how many of us grew up in this region uh, of the states. But how many of you, like me, you grew up in the Southeast? Let me just see your hand. You've been practically in the Southeast your whole life. I've never lived any uh, further north than uh, Atlanta, Georgia. That's as far north as I've ever been. Now, I know, and the reason I mention this, and it's interesting to know that we're sort of all spread out, came from different parts of the states, but I know this sounds crazy, but in some places, for those of us that have always lived like it here, like, you know, in the southeast or primarily, I've lived longer in Florida, by the way, than I ever lived back home in Georgia, but I know this sounds crazy, but in some places, there are actually these things called seasons. 
There really is. How many of you know that? And, and if you've lived here your whole life, you may not believe me, but, but now we basically have four stages of a calendar year here where we live. We basically have the four that we have are warm, hot, hotter, and unbearable. That's what we… That's generally what we have here. But in other parts of the states, I mean, there's actually these, <clears throat> excuse me, seasons like spring. And I just looked it up because I'm not familiar. You know, personally with uh, spring, they tell us, uh, goes from March 1st through May 31. Summer, we're familiar with summer around here, aren't we? Summer, uh, June 1 through August the 31st. Fall or uh, depending on where you grew up, autumn, September 1 through November the 30th, and then winter, uh, December the 1st through February the 28th. And some of you grew up where there were these uh, evolving seasons for them that rotated throughout a calendar year, all right? So there's seasons in, in that regard, but how many of you know that life also moves through various seasons? It really does. Some of you have heard me tell the story that very first, uh, new, and I won't elaborate because a lot of you have heard me mention this before, uh, the very first newborn baby that I ever saw was our son. And I'm, I'm very young. I'm a 19-year-old dad. I've never seen a newborn baby before. So because I've never seen a newborn baby, I thought, this, this is what I thought, all right? This is my naivete. Uh, I thought that all newborn babies looked just like, at that time, the Gerber babies on like baby food. That's what I thought. I thought they, they came out looking just like that. I'd never seen a newborn baby until Brent was born, and I can remember waiting for him to be born, and it's cited in ancients about that. But again, you got to keep in mind, I'm 19 years old. I've never seen a newborn baby. Uh, he was born in a very, very busy hospital in uh, metro Atlanta area, and so it seems like there must have been a hundred babies born that day. The door would swing open, a little, uh, you know, a little baby roller thing would come through the door, and I'd get up to go see if, you know, it had my name, you know, sellers on the baby, and just did that again and again. And finally, it just seemed like after getting up numerous times, finally I hear the door open, I, I get up from where I'm seated in the waiting room, I walk over, and I see, and I see, I see his name on the little thing that the nurse is pushing out. And I'm like, this is my boy. I'm going to get to see my boy. But again, keep in mind, I've never seen a newborn. How many of you know where this is going? And it's not good. And so he sort of laid, you know, on his side away from me. So I, I get down, you know, as his dad, and I'm just so anxious to see. And I'm looking, I'm looking, and I can't really see him. And he's got the blanket pulled up. And I'm like, I can't really see him. And so the nurse sort of rotates him, you know, where I can see him. This this has been a long time ago, but here are the words that I said to my mother. In fact, it was in the form of a question. I remember verbatim what I said to my mom. My mom, so I was down because my mom's four foot ten, and so you can tell I was leaned over because she could see over my shoulder. And when they flipped Brent toward me and I saw a newborn baby for the first time, I had apparently this look of shock and horror on my face, and I literally turned around and I looked at my mom, and I said, Mom, is he always going to look like that? I mean, like, really? Is that, you know, is, what's going on? I've never seen a newborn baby. Well, he turned out to be a cute kid, cute guy, grew up, and, and now it's sort of funny watching the stage now where he grew up and you know, watching him through, uh, you know, preschool and elementary school and middle high, you know, middle school, all the way up, and then he's dating, and then he's engaged, and next thing we know, he's married, and now, you know, he's got three, and just life, it's seasons, 
and, and it just moves. That's life. But um, the Bible addresses this in reality. We may not always think about it in this way, but the Bible actually talks about it. In fact, the wisest man to ever lived, and I talked about him here not too long ago, uh, Solomon, outside of Jesus, wisest guy who ever lived outside of Christ, he, he makes this statement. A lot of you are familiar with it, but maybe you haven't thought of, a lot about this verse recently, but I want us to look at it together. Here we go. Ecclesiastes 3.1, and I'd like for you to help me as you always do. You always do a great job with that, by the way. So, there is a, there is a time for everything and a, and a season for every activity under heaven. And so, the Bible really talks about this reality of seasons. There's an Old Testament scholar by the name of Michael Eaton, and he makes an interesting observation in regards to this verse, but not just this verse. You could actually say the entire passage for that matter. And this is what he said, and I quote this scholar. He said, whatever may be our skill and initiative, our real masters seem to be these inexplorable seasons. Let me read that again because it's quite profound. I mean, you've got to hear it and then sort of process it for a moment. But listen to what he says. Whatever may be our skill and initiative, our real masters seem to be the inexplorable seasons. And I think that when you think that all the way through, he's basically saying, I think you had reached the, the same conclusion that I do. He's basically saying this, that no matter how smart, no matter how talented, no matter how successful or driven or clever that we are, there is something in our lives that we cannot control, and that's the seasons of our life. Isn't that true? Can you ultimately control the seasons of your life? You can. I can't. In fact, it's so true. This is not on the screen, but it's so true what the writer of Psalm 31 says to God. This is what the psalmist says to God. He says, my times are seasons. You could insert that word as well. But my times are in your hands. Your hands. God, at the end of the day, you are ultimately going to determine. It's beyond my capacity to control my times. The seasons of my life, God, are in your hands. And so Solomon, again, who I talked about here not too long ago, so I want to sort of come back in a you know, address some of the things that he says. He, uh, he talks about beginning right after, you know, chapter 3, verse 1, he starts going through various seasons. And, uh, you know, and he, and he tells us, and we don't have time to take a lot of them on, but I'd like to, if time permitting, I'd like to try to get to two of them uh, tonight, and I think this is going to be helpful to us. And I know we don't all resonate. It's funny how that somebody, uh, you know, you could be in a setting like this and say message, but based on where we're in our lives personally, we receive something different because God communicates to us in a different way. How many of you know what I'm talking about? And so I think that's going to happen tonight. So let's, let's look at a season, all right? We're going to put the first one up here. Guys, we've got to do that on the screen. Um, this is, again, the wisdom writer, and he says, there is a time to tear and a time to mend. Now, we're not going to really uh, deal with that one tonight, although that would be a good one to deal with. But it's this next one that I want us to talk about for a few moments. He goes on to say, back up if you would, guys, for just a moment. There is, no, where you were, where you were, go back to where time to mend, and all right, right there. There you go. Read this next part with me, these two key words. Are you ready? There is a time to be quiet and a time to speak. And that's what he's saying, seasons. And he said there's going to be seasons in your life where it's a really, really good time to be quiet. It's a season in your life to be quiet. 
Now, be careful. I don't know if I just caught this, you know, some of you looked at each other like, I think he's talking to you. I, I, I don't want you to do that. No, kidding aside. There is a time to be quiet and a time to speak. That's what he says. Now, there are times and seasons in our lives when, according to what is being said here, and again, keep it in mind, this is the Word of God, there are times when we just simply need to be silent. We need to be silent. It's a little bit, I'm talking about it in a little bit different context than I did recently where I said, hey, if we want to reduce the sin quotient of our life, you remember that if you happen to be here uh, recently when I talked about that, then don't say as much, and that lessens our ability to sin. Some of you may remember that, but we're not talking about it in that same context tonight. And a perfect example for us in this regard, and I want you to think about it, is actually Jesus himself. I don't know how often that you have thought about this, but Jesus, think about this now, Jesus remained silent in the most difficult time of his life. How many of you know that? He was silent in the most difficult time of his life. It was a season, actually, had any of us been in this place, it was a season in which all of us would have been talking a lot. Primarily, if in that most difficult season of Jesus' life, had you or I been inserted into that story, we, we would have been defending ourselves. We would have been like, hey, I'm innocent. I've never done wrong. Why am I going to be crucified? Why are you handing me off? And so we would have been in total defense mode, or, or we would have been trying to, as most anybody would, validating our own supernatural credentials. Don't you know that I'm, I'm God and the Son of God? And, and, but yet Jesus is, is not doing that at all. In fact, I want you to look at this next verse, this is in the Gospels now, out of the Old Testament into the New. This is Mark 14, 61, and it says, talking about that occasion, but Jesus kept quiet and would not say a word. Now, let's talk about that for just a moment. Time out, time out, time out. How many of you have ever read that before where everything that Jesus is going through and you've wanted, when you read the story, although you knew it didn't happen because you had read the story before, but you were just hoping that Jesus, in fact, if you could rewrite the story, you would, you would rewrite it in a way that Jesus was saying things, and Jesus was doing things, and Jesus was taking action, and he wasn't just, uh, you know, letting them do whatever they chose to do to him, and now ultimately they're going to crucify him, but it says Jesus, Jesus didn't do a thing. In fact, look at this next verse. This is the book of Acts, Acts 8.32. It said the portion of Scripture he was reading was this. He, and it's talking about Jesus here, he was like a sheep being led to be killed. It's talking about Christ. He was, what's the word there? He was quiet as a lamb is what? Quiet while its wool is being cut. Read the last part of this verse with me. He never opened his mouth. All right, so let's be transparent with one another. Had you and I been devising how it all played out, how many of us, if we had been in charge, we would have made sure that Jesus opened his mouth? Wouldn't you have done that? None of you, just me? I would have wanted Jesus to have opened his mouth. How many of you, how many of you, and again, ultimately, we're, we're thankful now because we know that salvation is not even possible for us had Jesus not been silent, had Jesus not gone through with it. But in that moment, when you just think about everything that he is going through, and he is completely innocent. 
The two thieves that were crucified with him, we know that they got what they justly deserve. In fact, one of the thieves said that. The other's just sort of mocking. He's like, what are you doing? I mean, you're, you're talking to Jesus. He's innocent. And he's never done anything wrong. I mean, why are you saying what you are? This is one thief speaking to the other thief. He said, you remember what he said? He said, we're getting what we justly deserve. The implication of that is Jesus is having to pay a price for being innocent being perfect in every way, but he opened not his mouth. Of course, there's so much that we need to learn from Jesus fundamentally, isn't it? Like this, how many of you know it would be a good thing for us to learn from Jesus how to allow our lives, how we live, to defend us instead of what we say? Wouldn't that be important? How we live our lives and not just what we say. Let me put it this way. You and I do not have to inform people concerning our integrity and character and authenticity. How many of you know people already know that? So they already know it. It's, it's this whole idea of it's not what we say, it's what we do, it's how we live. And so people already know. We don't have to try to prove something that we're, we are, we're not. I mean, people know whether we're people of integrity because they've had uh, exchanges with us. They know if we have high character or, or if we're authentic and, and real. People already see that. Jesus never tried to defend that. Here's another thing that we can learn from Jesus. It's always wise to remain silent when words will not result in a healthy and productive resolution. I mean, if, if it's not going to bring a healthy resolution, it's just going to be words, then uh, why does it even... And so there were occasions where Jesus said, you know what, I could speak to that, but I'm not going to speak to that because there's not going to be a good outcome. There's not going to be a healthy resolution. Here's another thing to consider. Being quiet is a good thing when speaking would only serve to add fuel to the fire. So I love what it says about Jesus, but Jesus kept quiet and would not say a word, and it goes back to what the wisdom writer was saying all the way back in Ecclesiastes, there is a time to be quiet, but then the writer adds, but there is also, continuing with verse 7, this wise leader says there is certainly a time or a season when we need to speak. How many of you know that there are times when you and I, that, that silence you know, not having a voice, not speaking up, claiming up would be the wrong course of action to take, that we do need to speak. The worst thing that we could do is to remain silent. Proverbs 15, 23, this is not on the screen, but you may want to jot it down somewhere. It says this, and this is where God can use you. I don't know if you've thought about this a whole lot or not, but this is a verse that you may want to take into consideration. Proverbs 15, 23 says this, listen to it carefully, how good is a timely word. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever been on the receiving end of a timely word? Where it's just the right moment, and you just knew it was the supernatural activity of God because it, there was no other reasonable explanation where somebody didn't necessarily know your circumstances in great detail. They didn't know everything that was going on in your life. But God, have you ever had that happen to you, that God sends somebody into your life, and they speak a word, and it's like, whoa, where did that come from? And then you back up and you understand that God will give to us, sometimes for somebody else, a timely word. And I think more and more, you and I need to make ourselves available to that. 
We need to make ourselves available because God wants to use us in that capacity of ministry, all of us, to where if somebody is, is going through a time of discouragement or a time of, a, a time of um, confusion or a time where they're drifting spiritually, that, that we can come in and because God has moved upon us, because God has just given us insight, and, and that doesn't have to be weird or spooky or anything like that. We just, we just have that inner nudging. You've, you've had that happen before, that prompting where you're like, do I say something or do I not say something? Do I do, I do something or, or do I not do something? You know, do I act? You know, do I do, do a timely word or, you know, a timely act? I'm a guy, and some of you may be like me in this regard. I don't, I don't carry around a lot of cash. I've always got my debit card with me, but I don't carry a lot of cash. And I can remember uh, being in Chick-fil-A one day. How many of you know that I've been to Chick-fil-A more than one time in my life? And so I was in Chick-fil-A, surprise, surprise, and I saw this family, and normally, you know, if I'm by myself and just eating something, I'll have a book or a magazine, and I'm just trying to read, do a couple of things at once, and I rarely, you know, pay attention to a lot of what's going on around me. And, and I just looked up, and there was this family, this, this family that came and sat down, and uh, it was a pretty big family. His mom and dad, I, I can't remember, it's been some time ago, but it was probably six kids. And uh, I, I don't know why they caught my attention. I hadn't planned on them catching my attention, but they did. And I'm just sort of, you know, I'm hoping now looking back that I wasn't just staring the whole time. You know, I'm just wondering. But I just see some things playing out, and the parents go up, and they order the meal, and then they bring the meal back. And, and um, the family divides each meal, all right? Like, here's one meal. We're going to divide it, two kids, so three meals. And so they just divide it out. And so I'm just riveted by everything that's going on, and I don't know why because it's not you know, like highly unusual, but uh, I had this sense that God wanted me to give him some cash. And I'm like, um, well, Lord, I, I generally don't carry cash. And it's like, yeah, but you have cash today. You have cash today. And, and then have you ever sensed God, you know, whether it's something you're doing or a timely word, have you ever sensed God is wanting you to do something or to say something, but you start telling God why you shouldn't say something or do something? Does that ever happen where you give God an explanation because He's not clear on what's really going on in that moment? And so, you have to clarify it for God. And so, I just started telling God, well, God, you know, listen, I'm a man, and that's a, that's a dad, and that would be embarrassing for me to just walk over them and just, you know, hand them some cash and and, uh, you know, that would be embarrassing. And what if they just, you know, well, thanks, but no thanks. And so, I, well, God, surely, and, uh, and he's like, well, hey, you don't ordinarily carry cash, right? No, I don't. And don't you think it's at least possible that I want you to give them the cash that you have with you? I'm like, well, God, that's possible, but I don't know how it's going to play out. So, I'm telling God all of this. So I've got all of this going on. And I kid you not, although this has been some time ago, I can remember like it happened yesterday morning one of the little girls at the end of the table. So, I'm, I'm combating all of this. Do I? Do I not? Will it embarrass them? Will it not embarrass them? Is this God? Is it me? What do I do? And so, all this is playing out, and I look up, and I kid you not, the little girl at the end of the table, she does just like this, and there's a lot of people in the restaurant. She's seated. I'm sort of where you are, and she does like this. She turns, and she looks directly at me <laughs> as if to say, you know God is speaking to you. You probably ought to do this. 
And I'm like, hey, and I'm like, I, I mean, that was, you know, uh, argument done. I knew that was God, timely act, timely word. And so I just walked over to the family and said, hey, I, I, I don't know what this is all about, but I just sense God wants me to just give this to you. And so I just gave it to the dad and walked away. God wants to use us, and, and he uses us with ads. But in this context, Proverbs says, how good is a timely word? So there are times when we need to speak up. There's, uh, and this next one is, is really not an easy one, but this is a time that we need to speak up. There are times when we need to speak up because a family member, listen, because some of you are living in this orbit right now, we need to speak up because there is a family member or a friend that is living somewhat recklessly and unwise in the choices and decisions that they're making, and God is wanting to use us to speak up into that situation, not with judgmentalism, not with arrogance, not with spug smug spirituality, but out of true concern and love. And it often starts with something like this. And I've had to have these conversations when it, it would have been easier to be, be, be quiet, but I knew that God wanted me to speak up. And generally, this, I've had this happen so many times when I've had to say something like this to somebody. This is not going to be easy for me to say, and this is going to be tough for you to hear, but because I love you and because I care about you, I need to say it anyhow. How many of you know what I'm talking about? How many of you know we sometimes leave that short side and we're like, oh, no, no, I don't even want to get involved in that, and I don't have any business. But there are times, listen, according to the wisdom writer, there are times, obviously, he said, when we need to be quiet, but there's times when we need to speak. Here's another time we need to speak up. Sometimes God is going to call on us to speak up for those who have. Listen to this. I'm feeling this so strongly these days when I look at what is happening nationally that we need to speak up for those who have little or no voice. How many of you know the marginalized have basically no voice? How many of you know that today the unborn, as they always, the unborn has no voice and somebody's got to speak up for the unborn? Do you believe that? And sometimes we've just got to speak up for people that are helpless or the poor. Look at uh, Proverbs 31. Look at these uh, two verses right here. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Ensure justice for those who are being, what's that word there? Those who are being Crush. Yes, speak up for the poor and the helpless, and a lot of people fit into those categories, and see that they get justice. Listen, friends, there's a time when we need to be quiet, but there's also a time when we need to speak up for people that do not have a voice for themselves. And if the body of Christ won't do that, then pray tell who will. You with me on that? You with me? Wave at me a little bit like this. We speak up. I think we've got time. Let's, let's deal with one more. Here's another season. Remember, our, our season, our lives are in God's hands. Here's another season that the wisdom writer wrote about. This is verse 4 now. Why don't you look at this one with me? There is a time to, any of you ever been there, done that? There's a time to cry and there's a time to, there's a time to, and a time to, these are seasons. And all of us have been at these seasons. And this may be one of those verses that you want to hang on to. These are the seasons of life. This is the reality of life. This is going to happen, you know, really pragmatically speaking to all of us. You see, one of the great joys and hopes that you and I have concerning heaven is that once we arrive there, how many of you know one of the wonderful things about heaven is that all crying will permanently end once we go into heaven? No more crying. 
How do we know this? It's not on the screen, but let me just read it to you. Revelation 21.4, the A part of that verse says this, God will wipe every tear from our eyes. There will be no more death in heaven. There'll be no more mourning in heaven, and there'll be no crying in heaven. There's going to be no pain in heaven. And that's, that's going to be a glorious time, wouldn't you agree? But I think you know that this out of heaven, most likely, will be a lot of tears. And I would imagine just sort of looking around in this place tonight and imagine those that are watching online right now, maybe this has been a season where you've had a lot of tears, where there's been a lot of grieving. There's many references to tears in the Bible. See it again and again. I think, for me, one of the most heart-wrenching scenes in all of the Bibles is in the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel. Many of you will remember the story. David is not living in Jerusalem. He and his men have gone off into battle. They leave their families behind in a place where they were currently living, a place called Ziklag. And while they were gone into battle, having left their families behind, the Amalekites show up in a place uh, where they were living, this place called Ziklag. And the, they're just waiting. They're waiting for their families. They're waiting for their husbands, their fathers, their sons to return. Now, look at these verses. These are moving. Every time I've ever read this, because I try to insert myself into the story, it said when David and his men came to Ziklag, they came back to Ziklag. Remember the, the, the wives, the families, the sons and daughters, all of them. They found Ziklag destroyed by fire. The Amalekites not only destroyed it, they burned the city down. And look, look at this next part. And their wives and sons and daughters were taken captive. How many of you know this is a very, very bad day? Now, David, this great warrior, great warrior, it says, so David and his men, watch these two words, wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. When I read that, it just tells me basically they did two things. They wept loudly, and they wept for a long time. I mean, this was no short burst of tears and then clear it all up. And I mean, they, they wept. These, these are rugged men. I mean, you've read about the men that gathered around David during this time. These are, these are tough, tough fellas. And David is a warrior. In fact, that's why he wasn't able to build the temple that he wanted to build because God said, you can't build the temple because you're a man of much bloodshed and you're not going to be able to. He's a warrior. And God said, no, you can't build the temple. So these are tough guys. And yet when this happens, they cry loudly and for a long time. Now, what if I point that out? Maybe that is fairly descriptive of your life in this current season. Have you ever been there and you don't have to nod? You don't have to raise your hand. You don't have to nod. You don't have to do any of those things. But do any of you know what it's like to weep so long that it feels like you have no more strength left in you to cry? That you've just cried it out? Cry, cry, it seems like you can't even stop. It's not easy for us to admit, one great writer says this, but suffering is part of life. No one is exempt from tragedy. No one is exempt from problems. We all have them. Every one of us experiences deep wounds as we encounter tragedy and loss and pain. And I would imagine that if every one of us could just take a moment and I just sort of went row by row, person by person, family by family, ask you to come up here, take a few minutes, tell your story. I mean, you would tell stories of tragedy. There's tragedy somewhere connected to you or loss or pain or disappointment. In this world of realities like shattered dreams and broken promises and traumatic medical reports and lingering sickness and pain and relational upheaval and even death. 
But here's where I want you to be encouraged before we leave. This is what the Bible says. It's not what I'm telling you. It's what the Bible says. Here's what we must remember about seasons. They will not last forever. Can I say that again? They will not last forever. How many of you can say praise the Lord to that? In fact, I think we ought to give Jesus a hand on that. They do not last forever. And some of you know that from personal experience. And others of you are saying, oh boy, how I want to get to that season because I'm not there yet. Not on the screen, but I want you to maybe write down somewhere this verse. Luke 6, 21 says, blessed are you who weep now for you will laugh. And some of you are, you're in that season right now. You're like in the weeping season. And you're like, I don't know if I'll ever laugh again. You will laugh again. You will have joy again. Psalm 35, again, it's not on the screen, but I want you to just write this one down somewhere. Psalm 30 and verse 5. Many of you know this one already. This is what it says. You could quote it. Many of you have memorized it. Weeping may last for the night, but there is a song of joy in the morning. What you're going through right now is not the way your life is always going to be. How many of you are glad to hear that? Weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes. Look at this verse, John 16, 20. This is a great, great verse. I want you to see this one. I tell you the truth. You will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but look at this, but your grief will turn to what? Joy. Your grief will turn to joy. This season of tears and grief will not last forever. If that is the season that you're in right now, if you're going through a time right now where the, where the sense of loss and pain or tragedy or disappointment or disillusionment or confusion is so great that you're like David, that you feel like David and his men who wept so long that you don't even have the strength left to weep anymore, that is not the way it's always going to be, friends. That is not the way it's always going to be. I want the guys to put on the screen. This is verse I used out at Lakeside this past Sunday. I love this verse, Jeremiah. Jeremiah 31, 3, 13. Look at this. The young women will dance for joy, and the men, old and young, will join the celebration. Read the rest of this with me, everybody. Let's read it. I will turn their mourning into joy. I will comfort them and exchange their sorrow for rejoicing. But here's the question, and with it we close. What do we do in the meantime? When we're still in the season, what do we do? And I think Jesus says it really, really well. Matthew 5, 4 is the last verse. And then we're going to pray. Look at it there on the screen. God blesses people who grieve. And they will receive what from God? Comfort from God. I don't know what you're walking through tonight. I don't know what season you're in. You may be in a season of joy and celebration and dancing, but I've been around long enough to know I didn't get this gray hair accidentally. I know you think it's highlights, but it's not. It's the real deal. We show up for church, and we want to pretend that everything is going great but it's not always going great. We have fears, doubts, and tears. And it's a season. It's a season that will not last forever, thank God. But what do you do in the meantime? You allow the God of all comfort 
to comfort you and to grow you. How many of you know that the greatest, there's been all kinds of studies that have validated this. The greatest times, think about this, the greatest the greatest times of spiritual growth in our lives. I mean, just look back on your own life. The greatest times of spiritual growth in your own life has not been the times when everything was easy in your life. Isn't that true? The greatest times of spiritual growth and formation in our life has been when we're walking through the tough times. See, here's what I've come to understand. You ready for this? You ready? Here it is, and we're going to close. Adversity will either grind you down or it'll grow you up. Isn't that the truth? Adversity will either grind you down or it will grow you up. Why wouldn't we want to allow God to grow us up in what we're going through, whatever that may be? I hope you're in a season of celebration. I hope you're in a season of dancing. But for a lot of you, that's not where you're at. Life is seasons, and we can't do anything about it. That's what the writer says. Except allow God to minister to us. So what season are you in? In fact, would you stand with me right now? Everybody stand. And here's how I want us to end. We're in good shape time-wise. It's 734. We have a few moments. The worship team is going to help us right here at the end. But if you've got something going on in your life right now, we're going to have altar workers that are going to be down here. I want to hang around in the front. And maybe you're going through a tough time in your own life right now. And maybe you're just in a season of tears or maybe you're in a season of pain. Maybe you've just walked through a time of tragedy. Maybe there's been loss that's occurred in your life recently. Maybe you're facing things in the workplace and you're not sure how that's going to turn out. Maybe things under your own roof right now are not that great. Maybe you look at your financial situation. Me just mentioning your financial situation causes a nut a not to just, you know, be right there in your stomach and you just, ah, oh, man, oh, man, oh, man. Whatever it is, God knows, God cares, and God's able to comfort you right here, right now. So as the worship team begins to sing, if you've got a need, whatever it is, physical, spiritual, financial, emotional, in your family, in your job, your career, I want you to come and just give us a moment to pray with you before we leave. I'll come back in just a few moments and do the benediction. So you come. You don't wait. You come as they begin to sing. Your promise still stands. Great is your faithfulness. Faithfulness. I'm still in your hands. This is my comfort. Your promise still stands.
I mentioned a timely word just a moment ago, and I don't know who this is for, but I really believe to the core of my soul that this is for somebody, a timely word. And here it is. You know if this is for you or not, but here it is. God has not given to you a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. I don't know who that's for, but that's for somebody. It's a timely word. God has not given to you a spirit of fear, but of power and love and of a sound mind. This is a timely word for somebody that's in this place. I don't know who it's for, but this is for somebody here tonight. It may be for five. It may be for one. It may be for a dozen. But God is able to descend upon you with healing in his wings, and it is by his stripes that you were healed. Here's a timely word. I don't know who it's for, but here it is. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord shall deliver you out of them all. There is coming an answer to what God's going to do in your life. It's a timely word. It's a timely word. And if that, any of that was for you, you receive that. You receive that. God, you've not given me a spirit of fear, but a power. When I lay down the night, God, I'm not going to be afraid. 
David, it was said of David that he was able to rest at night. Do you know why David was able to rest at night? He reached that stage where he said, you know what? When I lay down at night, my mind is going to be stayed on, on God. Some of you, when you lay down tonight, you need to quit worrying about what you've been worrying about, and you need to put your thoughts on God, who is ultimately in control of every situation, and trust him, and tonight get the best night of sleep you've had in a long, long time, because God's not giving you a spirit of fear, but a power, love, a sound mind, and you receive that. God loves us. I've got these three little kids running around the house right now, five, three, one, Kenley, Landry, Brody, all they've got to do is look at me and just say, Papa. It's like, whatever you want, you just name it. You just name it. And I love them in an incredible way. When I take them to the movies, my kids give me such a hard time. I say to them, I said, when I take them to the movie because I like to take them to the movie. I just took one of them the other night and I said, all right, what do you want when Papa takes you to the movie? I said, do you want popcorn or candy? And I know what they say. They say the same thing every time, both. And what do I get? Both. Because I love them. And God loves you. And God wants to bless you. And God wants to heal you. And God wants to touch you because God cares about you. And you're his child. And he's going to do it. So, Father, thank you for the hope and the promise that we find in you and in your word. We receive your word. We receive a timely word tonight. It's your word for us, and we take it, and by faith, we agree with it, and we hold on to it in Jesus' name. Everybody said, I love you. Have an awesome week. We'll see you Sunday. I've seen you move. You move the mountains, and I believe Jesus. Because you made a way where there seemed to be no way. And I believe your word tonight. Your promise still stands
weekend either lakeside or here let's come ready to worship we love you very much have a great night